Welcome to Words to Live By, a podcast series hosted by the Ronald Reagan Presidential Foundation and Institute. Each week, we will share some of the wit and wisdom of Ronald Reagan. In essence, Words to Live By, made up of radio addresses and speeches he delivered from the 1960s through the 1980s. A groundbreaking exhibit opened at the Ronald Reagan Presidential Library Museum on March 24th, entitled Auschwitz, Not Long Ago, Not Far Away. No book, no podcast, nor history lesson can prepare you for the impact and power this extraordinary collection of artifacts holds. The exhibition brings together more than 700 original objects of great historic and human value, objects which were direct witnesses of the horrors of Auschwitz and the Holocaust. These objects serve as the guiding thread of a rigorous and moving account on the history of the German Nazi camp Auschwitz and its dwellers, both victims and perpetrators. Why such an exhibit at the Ronald Reagan Presidential Museum, you ask? Well, first, a couple of givens. We know that embracing the power and value of human freedom was the most fundamental element of Ronald Reagan's belief system. In every role he played as radio announcer, actor, union leader, governor, or president, he championed the dignity and the ability and the God-given freedom to make our own decisions, to plan our own lives, and control our own destiny. In Ronald Reagan's personal journey, he discovered that life does not proceed by leaps and bounds. Rather, it unfolds in the most unlikely ways. His unexpected, eye-opening exposure to top-secret footage during World War II fueled his hatred of oppressive government, anti-Semitism, and his resolve to protect human freedom. Most people don't know this story. So here's the president in 1981, addressing an audience honoring the Days of Remembrance of Victims of the Holocaust. He tells his personal journey. Let's listen. Well, I'm horrified today when I know that and hear that there are actually people now trying to say that the Holocaust was invented, that it never happened, that there were six million people whose lives were taken cruelly and needlessly in that event. But all of this is propaganda. of horror on their face. 
After listening to the president, we hope you have a better understanding of why we are holding the Auschwitz exhibit at the Reagan Library. But before I go any further, I'll give you the complete background on Ronald Reagan's military service and how it led up to such an ominous assignment. Like all Americans, the young Ronald Reagan yearned to serve his country during a tumultuous time when the world was upside down. When he reported for duty at Fort Mason in 1942, his medical exam, well, it revealed very poor eyesight. If we sent you overseas, the doctor explained, you'd shoot a general. Yes, quipped his aide, and you'd miss him. <laughs> so instead of going off to war and serving bravely in the Army Air Corps like his friend Jimmy Stewart, the young actor was consigned to service in the first motion picture unit, FMPU, based just outside of L.A. He used to joke that during the war he flew a desk. Just three days before Ronald Reagan reported for duty, this new unit, the FMPU, was formed by Hollywood's Jack Warner, who was sworn in as a commissioned officer in the Army Air Corps, the predecessor of the U.S. Air Force. No aircraft involved in this mission, though. Instead, the patriotic mogul had been lobbying Washington for months to establish a very effective propaganda department in his studio with him in charge. Claiming that the film industry was essential to the national health, safety, and interest of the country, Jack Warner formed and led the FMPU as a division of the Army Air Corps. So where did Ronald Reagan fit in? Well, Second Lieutenant Reagan was recruited to aid in producing propaganda and training films. While hiring the needed actors, writers, producers, camera and sound engineers necessary to fulfill the task. The wish list from the military was extensive. They tasked the FMPU with creating films to increase enlistments, train servicemen, build morale, define the enemy, create unity, and promote air power. Ronald Reagan often narrated and appeared in FMPU's work products like Rear Gunner, Target Tokyo, Beyond the Line of Duty, Fight for the Sky, and For God and Country. While turning out films at a record pace, Lieutenant Reagan was made post-adjutant and promoted to captain. Then at once, the focus turned from inspiring to acquiring. The FMPU embarked on top-secret projects, extending beyond the walls of their studio. Well, if it's true that one day can bend your life, then Captain Reagan was about to find out. In a departure from their daily duties, the team received a top-secret assignment 18 days after FDR's death in April 1945. Now, at this point in the war, Hitler had committed suicide as Allied troops closed in on Berlin. Victory in Europe was declared on May 8, 1945. Shortly after that, raw footage filmed by FMPU's secret combat camera crews at German concentration camps arrived to be edited for viewing at the Pentagon. Ronald Reagan was among the handful of officers on the base to see those ghastly images and discover the full truth about the horrors of Nazism. This experience changed Ronald Reagan forever. Once president, he was filled with a huge sense of purpose. Certainly were 
wherever it takes place in the world, the act of violence or terrorism. And that even at the negotiating table, never shall it be forgotten for a moment. But wherever it is taking place in the world, the persecution of people for whatever reason, persecution of people for their religious belief, that is a matter to be on that negotiating table where the United States does not belong at that table. Only a year later, in 1982, he said, 37 years ago, as the conflagration in Europe drew to a close, our eyes were opened to a, a new tragedy of such proportion that even now we can't grasp the horror of it. There were millions of victims of the Holocaust. Such vast figures have a way of blinding us to the humanity behind the numbers. Today, perhaps for a moment, we should think of those who are not with us. We miss these people, though we were never permitted to know them. God understands how different, I'm sure, and only God, our lives would be had they been permitted to live. More about Ronald Reagan, the Holocaust Museum, and a Swedish diplomat by the name of Raoul Wallenberg. We'll be right back. The Ronald Reagan Presidential Foundation is the nonprofit organization created by President Reagan himself and specifically charged by him with continuing his legacy and sharing his principles, individual liberty, economic opportunity, global democracy, and national pride. We must remain vigilant and work together to share these conservative principles with younger generations. Your role is critical to move our mission forward. Thank you for your continued support. Please visit reaganfoundation.org give. That's reaganfoundation.org give. Now, back to the story. In addition to yearly Holocaust remembrance ceremonies, Ronald Reagan embraced the story of Raoul Wallenberg. In 1945, a brave young man named Wallenberg disappeared from the streets of war-torn Budapest. This young Swedish diplomat had been assigned to his country's service in Hungary in March 1944 where he undertook a humanitarian mission to save the lives of as many Hungarian Jews as possible. Wallenberg pulled people out of death marches, boarded deportation trains, handed out Swedish papers to thousands of innocent people on the way to death camps, and insisted to the Nazi occupation authorities that anyone holding Swedish papers be released in his custody. Altogether, Wallenberg is responsible for saving the lives of nearly 100,000 Jewish men, women, and children from certain death in Nazi extermination camps. Some of the people whom he saved are now prominent citizens of our own country. On January 17, 1945, Raoul Wallenberg was taken by Soviet soldiers to the provisional Hungarian government in southern Hungary, ostensibly to discuss relief efforts. He never returned. The U.S. government repeatedly raised Wallenberg's case with the Soviet government and requested a full and satisfactory clarification of his fate. But the only Soviet explanation of Wallenberg's fate was a statement in 1957 that he died 10 years earlier in a Soviet prison. 
No explanation was ever given of the circumstances of his arrest or subsequent disappearance. To facilitate an investigation based on reported sightings, President Reagan made him an honorary citizen in 1981 in a special ceremony. In attendance was Representative Tom Lantos of California, the principal sponsor of the resolution in the House of Representatives. While a 16-year-old youth working for the Hungarian underground, Representative Lantos was saved in Budapest by Mr. Wallenberg. Let's listen. I'm signing a bill to make Raoul Wallenberg an honorary citizen of the United States. But in making him a United States citizen, I think we're the ones that are being honored. Raoul Wallenberg is the Swedish savior of almost 100,000 Jewish men, women, and children. What he did, what he accomplished, was of biblical proportions. Sir Winston Churchill, another man of force and fortitude, is the only other person who has received honorary United States citizenship. And as John F. Kennedy said at that signing ceremony, indifferent himself to danger, he wept over the sorrows of others. That compassion also exemplifies the man we are gathered here for today. In 1944, the United States requested Sweden's cooperation in protecting the lives of Hungarian Jews facing extermination at the hands of the Nazis. In the months that followed, the United States supplied the funds and the directives, and Raoul Wallenberg supplied the courage and the passion. How can we comprehend the moral worth of a man who saved tens and tens of thousands of lives, including those of Congressman and Mrs. Lantos. In 1945, in violation of diplomatic immunity and international law, he was seized with the Soviet Union. The Nazis were gone, and the Soviets had come in as an ally. And yet, today there is evidence that he is still imprisoned by the Soviets. Wherever he is, his humanity burns like a torch. I heard someone once say that a man has made at least a start on understanding the meaning of human life when he plants shade trees under which he knows he will never sit. Raoul Wallenberg is just such a man. He nurtured the lives of those he never knew at the risk of his own. And then just recently, I was told that in a special area behind the Holocaust Memorial in Israel, Hungarian Jews now living in Sweden planted 10,000 trees in Raoul's honor. In October 1988, President Reagan was deeply honored to preside at the dedication of the Holocaust Museum in Washington, D.C. He cautioned Americans to remain vigilant and that silence in the face of anti-Semitism or racism is unacceptable. The Jews of silence, Elie Wiesel called them two decades ago, but they're silent no more. They're obeying what the great theologian Emil Fackenheim called the 614th commandment, the commandment of Auschwitz. And that commandment is this, let there be Jews. That commandment is dear to the hearts of all. The Jewish people were on this earth at the time of the pyramids. Those structures are still standing and the Jews are still here. We must make sure that when the tall towers of our greatest cities have crumbled to dust in the turnings of time, the Jewish people will still be on this earth. The K 
cast their blessings and remind all of us that this world and the per people who live upon it have a history and, yes, even a destiny. With the invasion of Poland, the West awoke. May God be thanked. But at what and the Nazis were finally defeated. But what cost? At what cost? Even to think about the cost makes sleep impossible. Had the West awakened to the meaning of Hitler, would those dead be with us today? Would there even be a need for this museum? It's a question without an answer. But we must never allow ourselves to have to ask that question again. American troops who liberated the concentration camps saw things no human eyes should ever see. The Auschwitz exhibition is now open through the end of the year. Through this daunting selection of objects from the Auschwitz-Birkenau State Museum, as well as more than 20 institutions and museums all over the world, the Auschwitz exhibition portrays the complex reality of the notorious camp, universal symbol of human tragedies that resulted from Nazi ideology, and the world of victims and perpetrators with a clear goal to elucidate how such a place could come into being and dig into how its existence has determined our present worldview. We invite you to make your reservations and experience this exhibition by visiting our website. Thank you for listening. For more information on the Ronald Reagan Presidential Foundation and Institute, including information on how to become a member, information on upcoming exhibits at the Reagan Library, and more information on the legacy of President Reagan, please visit reaganfoundation.org. And don't forget to like and follow the Reagan Foundation on all social media platforms. Don't forget to subscribe to the Words to Live By podcast in your iTunes or Google Play stores and on other podcast platforms as they become available. New episodes of Words to Live By come out every Tuesday. Like what you hear? Check out our A Reagan Forum podcast featuring great speeches delivered at the Reagan Library. New episodes drop every Thursday. And don't forget to follow at Ronald Reagan on Facebook, at Ronald Reagan 40 on Twitter, and Reagan Foundation on YouTube. Also, search for us on SoundCloud and Stitcher. Thank you.